French apparently do not want this reform. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Washington says up to 100 Ukrainian soldiers will arrive in the U.S. as early as next week to be trained in using the Patriot missile system. They'll undergo what's described as an expedited program. The Pentagon press secretary is Brigadier General Patrick Ryder. The training will prepare approximately 90 to 100 Ukrainian soldiers to operate, maintain and sustain the defensive system over a training course expected to last several months. So the the training will be tailored uh, to provide relevant tactics, techniques and procedures based on the battlefield conditions in Ukraine to enable them to employ that uh, to maximum effect once they are back in Ukraine. The World Bank has warned that the global economy is perilously close to falling into recession as the impacts of the Ukraine war and COVID pandemic continue to be felt across the world. It identified the impacts of soaring inflation and higher interest rates as key challenges. A senior bank official, Ihan Koze, had some advice. Policymakers need to look at what they are doing at home, try to improve policy frameworks, try to find ways using fiscal policy in an intelligent way, a targeted way, to help the most vulnerable segments of the society. When you think about the global economy and the global community, it is critical we find ways to work together. And finally, the Sri Lankan government has announced sharp spending cuts and warned it has barely enough revenue to pay salaries and pensions of public servants. A spokesman said the economic crisis this year was going to be worse than expected. All ministries have been ordered to make a 5% reduction in spending and Sri Lanka's economy shrank by more than 8% last year. The International Monetary Fund has agreed a bailout loan of nearly 3 billion US dollars, but it wants Sri Lanka to raise taxes and trim public services. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Thanks, Barry. Well, good morning. It's Wednesday, the 11th of January, and this is James Ross. Uh, in the headlines, the World Bank has slashed its economic forecast for 2023 to 1.7%. It says global growth is slowing and is now, quote, perilously close to recession. Uh, growth is half the pace it predicted in June and points to a, quote, sharp, long-lasting slowdown. Deflationary pressure in China worsened in the fourth quarter as the economy slumped, with price growth likely to be subdued even when the economy rebounds later this year. That, according to China Beige Book International, companies recorded the weakest growth in wages and input costs in Q4 since mid-2020. More bad news for crypto. One of the largest crypto exchanges, Coinbase, is to cut the workforce by nearly a 1,000 in a restructuring plan. Uh, with this third round of layoffs for the firm, the company's now cut 2,100 workers since June 2022. Fed Chair uh, Jerome Powell has defended the Fed taking unpopular measures to rein in inflation. In a speech, Mr. Powell said, quote, price stability is the bedrock of a healthy economy and provides the public with immeasurable benefits over time. But restoring price stability when inflation is high can require measures that are not popular in the short term as we raise interest rates to slow the economy. That said, he did not explicitly mention the Fed's policy outlook. Uh, meanwhile, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase, Jamie Dimon, says the Fed's rate hikes uh, may need to go beyond what's currently expected. 
Uh, speaking on Fox Business, Mr. Diamond said, quote, there's a 50% chance current expectations are correct in assuming the Fed will boost its benchmark rate to about 5% and a 50% chance that the central bank will have to go to 6%. Locally, the biggest residential plot of land in Stanley in two decades was withdrawn from sale yesterday after all tenders failed to meet the reserve. The plot on Cape Road could be used for about 650 flats with a gross floor area of about 480,000 square feet. The Lands Department said the government would not sell a site if no bid reached the reserve price. Quote, this is in the interest of protecting public revenue. As we heard in the news, Hong Kong's minimum wage is set to rise for the first time in four years from 37.5 Hong Kong dollars to $40 an hour. Uh, the $2.5 rise was approved yesterday and will come into force in May. It's estimated the increase of 6.7% could add around $900 million a year to wages bills. And the FT reporting that in an apparent effort to attract wealthy mainland customers, China's Citic Bank International in Hong Kong is now offering uh, shots of an mRNA vaccine if they make a deposit of 4 million Hong Kong dollars. It seems the offer of the BioNTech jab may be attractive since mainland clients could previously only get China-made jabs and as the border has now reopened. Well, on this morning's show, we'll be joined by Patrick Bennett, a macro strategist at CIBC World Markets, uh, Sean Debeau, a CEO at Horizon Capital Asia and Barry Wood, RTHK's international economic correspondent in Washington. Don't forget, if you've got any questions for our guests, you can email us at moneytalk at rthk.hk. Text us on 63935925. Our Facebook page is Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And on Twitter, we're at Money Talk Radio 3. Money Talk on RTHK. Okay, to the markets and starting on Wall Street where stocks finished higher overnight after a choppy session as markets digested that pessimistic global outlook from the World Bank and await tomorrow's U.S. Consumer Price Index report, which expected to show further moderation after big jumps in prices for much of last year. The Dow finishing up 0.6% at 33,704. The S&P 500 rising 0.7% to 3,919. And the Nasdaq jumping 1% to 10,742. Uh, big Tech had a good day with Amazon up 2.9%, Netflix up 3.9% and Facebook parent Meta up 2.7%. Uh, Coinbase rose 13% on news of those job cuts we mentioned earlier. Uh, European stocks closing lower on Tuesday as concerns about interest rate hikes resurfaced. The stock 600 fell 0.6% to 445.78. Uh, the UK's FTSE 100 down 0.4% to 7,694. Germany's DAX ending a fraction lower at 14,774. And France's CAC 40 down half a percent at 6,869. Hong Kong stocks finishing down yesterday as profit-taking and fresh U.S. interest rate concerns offset optimism over China's economic reopening. Uh, the Hang Seng down 0.3% to close at 21,331. The Shanghai Composite down 0.2% to 3,169. And the Shenzhen Composite adding 0.3% to 2,060. 
Japan's Nikkei 225 closing at a two-week high yesterday, up 0.7% at 26,175. Uh, that on hopes the Fed might ease its aggressive interest rate hikes. To, com- to commodities and Brent crude down a fraction at $79.80, sorry, $79.60 a barrel. Uh, copper up 1.3% at $407.75 a pound. Spot gold currently standing at $1,877.03 an ounce. The U.S. 10-year bond is currently showing a yield of 3.62%. And in the currency market, currently the euro buying a dollar and seven cents. The U.S. dollar standing at 132.17 Japanese yen. Uh, the pound buying 9.49 Hong Kong dollars. Uh, the yuan standing at 6.78 against the U.S. dollar. Uh, Bitcoin currently at 17,454 U.S. dollars. Uh, Looking quickly at the ASX 200 in Sydney, currently up uh, eight-tenths of one percent at 7,193. And in the futures market, looking that uh, Hang Seng futures mean the market will open about uh, 0.7% higher this morning. Okay, it is time to welcome our guests to Money Talk this morning, and uh, uh, we'll say hello first of all to Patrick Bennett, uh, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Uh, good morning, Patrick. Yes, good morning to you. And also to Sean Debo, uh, CEO at Horizon Capital Asia. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, James. And Barry Woods, RTHK's international economics correspondent, is on the line from Washington. Uh, good morning. Good evening, Barry. Yes, good morning to you and everyone. Uh, Nice to have you all on the show. Um, Let's perhaps start, um, Barry, with uh, a a moment on that World Bank uh, forecast, Uh, looking like growth being cut to, uh, the forecast being cut to 1.7%. Thoughts on that? Uh, What's what's that going to mean for the markets in uh, weeks and months ahead, do you think? I think it's priced in, James. I don't think that uh, this was any surprise. Let's be aware that there's a bit of a rivalry between the World Bank and its cross-the-street neighbor, the International Monetary Fund, which will have its own forecast in less than two weeks' time. The outlook for Europe is, of course, terrible, but the outlook for Asia, particularly as China recovers, is a question mark, and the United States is a question mark because it's not clear if we're going to have growth really slow in the States or if it's going to stay at this sort of 1% to 2% level, and whether the Fed is going to uh, continue its rate hike process past the meeting that's coming up at the end of this month into February. So there are some uncertainties, but what does it mean for financial markets? I think uh, the expectation already is in that it's not a good time for the world economy. Patrick, would you agree with that? Look, I agree with the the basic bones of that, yes. Um, Look, the economy, the global economy has been very dynamic. It is very dynamic and it's changed a lot since June, uh, as as the World Bank has has suggested here. Uh, I do wonder in this how much of the changes or the the changes we're seeing in in China in the last uh, month or six weeks uh, have been factored into that. Uh, Because we see pivots in a number of areas, not just pivots in uh, in zero COVID, but 
pivots in property, pivots in the technology sector, uh, you know, encouragement of, uh, you know, opening up of the uh, opening up to, to more competition. And we pose with that is that that could be, you know, China could again be perhaps a, a slight echo of 2008, 2009, that they are a force for good, a, a force for good in the global economy. Uh, and so perhaps, yeah, there are challenges uh, ahead, certainly with uh, on the back of policy rates. Uh, but I think the emergence of China needs to be uh, perhaps a greater factor in. A 1.7% slash, Sean, thoughts on that? Um James, I think that, as Barry was saying, that this is very much already in the price, and I think that what is happening now is the market is looking forward. Um, we need to consider the uh, impact of both the declining pace of rate rises in the United States, the declining uh, impact of inflation and the turn there, as well as the impact of energy costs on Europe. Uh, and in in Asia, of course, China is what. So those three factors are what is the market is focusing on because that's looking forward. And actually, all three of them are at the margin positive. Uh, deflationary pressure in China worsening in the uh, in the fourth quarter as uh, the economy obviously slumping there. But uh, uh, ahead of us, of course, is the CNY uh, holiday season. A lot of travel in and around uh, China. Um, Sean, what do you think that's going to mean? I think that travel right now in China is very important because both on a humanistic perspective as well as on a commercial perspective, it has been heavily restrained. I think that we're going to see four stages. First is domestic travel. I think it'll be modest over Chinese New Year, but thereafter I, I expect to see a very meaningful acceleration of domestic travel. Second will be um, people incre uh, improving their situation with their own personal documents and then getting out and traveling regionally. And when I look at that, I think that Thailand is the biggest beneficiary and followed by Japan. It will take some time until we see travelers going from China to the rest of the world, uh, both for geopolitical reasons and as well as just muscle memory, you know, people getting back to where they are. Near term, everyone's eyes are focused on what happens at the Shenzhen border, seeing people, uh, how quickly they'll return from the mainland to Hong Kong. And as we see Hong Kong travelers for family reunification and urgent business needs traveling to China. Patrick, that uh, potential tourism boom, uh, is that going to benefit uh, us across uh, this part of Asia and into Southeast Asia and so on? <laughs> Look, absolutely. Look, I think we've already seen that. Um you know the uh, the Hang Seng. You know since it's low, what the end of October has been. Uh, you know been very strong. I think up fifty percent. You know off its lows. So we're already starting to see that. Uh, and I think perhaps back to the you know the the World Bank's view. I think you know they are very much a, perhaps extrapolate what we saw in the second half of last year. Uh, perhaps uh, not looking forward as uh, you know, as Sean has mentioned there uh, to some factors which are positive. And, and yeah, certainly travel is one of those. I think. Uh, you know, consumer confidence, uh, confidence to be able to travel, confidence to be able to get out and, uh, you know, and spend in, in restaurants and, uh, you know, in shopping malls, I think is all very important to the underpinning of uh, recovery in the economy in China and in uh, here in Hong Kong and in, uh, in, in Southeast Asia more broadly. So, yeah, I have a, uh, a very normally Panglossian <laughs> view. And, and uh, again, I do have that, uh, you know, I do have confidence that uh, things will look better uh, as we move into the uh, second quarter. I am James, mm, Barry. I, th I think Patrick's got it exactly right. I mean, we could have as early as, say, the second quarter of this year, a real rebound in China. 
And I think that uh, the expectation among American business communities and investors who are active and, and really excited by this unexpected quick reopening of the Chinese economy, there's a lot of room for optimism. And uh, so I think the World Bank's a little bit behind the curve on that one because, of course, they didn't have any of that data when they came up with this latest forecast. Domestic politics in uh, in the U.S. continue apace, don't they, Barry? And uh, uh, I read overnight that um, uh, the new Republican majority in the House is forming a, a, a committee uh, about threats from China. Uh, you know, is it is is that the situation? Is that the view in the U.S. that uh, China continues to be a, a big threat? Yes, that's probably about the only thing that Democrats and Republicans agree on, and it's quite significant. And the fact that the Republicans in this sort of uh, fragile situation they're in in the House of Representatives have moved so quickly on this China committee is somewhat ominous. But uh, these things take time when they go through the Congress. I don't think there's any new restrictions that are likely to be engaged in or approved within the next three to six months. But I, it's certainly something that bears watching. It has been a tumultuous uh, week or so in uh, American politics, Barry, hasn't it? I mean, can you wrap it for us? Where, where do we stand? You know, I, I think we're all looking on from, from the outside, as we indeed we've done several times uh, before in the last uh, year or so, uh, uh, with some degree of incredulity. Well, I'll take a shot at that, James. Look, it was a circus, but we're used to circuses in the UK, and this one was a real circus here. I found it interesting to watch on C-SPAN, which televises all of the proceedings of the, of the Congress, that all 435 members had to sit there for 15 votes and without any mm. staff members present. So that was significant. Look, in the end, Kevin McCarthy won. Now he's moved rather quickly and he's off to a good start. Will that continue for more than a week or two? I'm not sure. But it means that uh, Kevin McCarthy has about the same majority in the House that Nancy, Nancy Pelosi had. She ruled with an iron fist and really got things done, kept people in line. It's very much an open question whether McCarthy can do the same thing. I mean, they've also um, already started to take uh, pot shots at uh, President Biden's uh, IRS policy to prop up the tax system and to get more revenues from there. Are there going to be any, any other sort of immediate impacts, do you think, on uh, uh, these changes? Well, I don't think... Let, let's remember, this isn't going to go anywhere mm. because mm. the Senate is still controlled by Democrats. But as to the uh, Republicans in the House, they've gone further. Uh, they've moved towards saying that the inter Internal Revenue Service should be abolished. And, and of right. course, this isn't going to happen. So... Yeah, this is uh, theatrics as they get underway and try to find their footing. Uh, just moving to the uh, the Fed for a second, uh, Jerome Powell defending the Fed taking unpopular measures in a speech uh, overnight. Um, you know, is are, are we are we getting any other indications about uh, where rates are going to go on the first of February, Barry? Do you think uh, is that any Not indication at all. there? Not a bit. Except the market is convinced that it'll be a more modest increase coming later this month. But Jerome's Powell, you can read it in about 30 seconds because it was a very short speech all on Federal Reserve independence and the importance of central banks having independence. So not even a clue about interest rates. Patrick, are you looking at interest rates with uh, any degree of uh, expectation? 
Yeah, look, absolutely. And uh, the CPI tonight, US CPI tonight, uh, will have a bearing on what the market wants to price for. Uh, what for are we expecting from that, do you think? Uh, well, we're looking for minus 0.1 month on month. You know, the consensus is around that, uh, that same level. So, uh, you know, further moderation. Uh, from what we have seen, um, but still persistently high core uh, CPI in the, uh, in the in the fives and uh, and PC levels uh, PCE levels uh, core PCE levels remaining uh, you know sticky as well. So we think the Fed is going to continue their tightening cycle. We think 25 basis points uh, in February. We think we're towards the end of the game. Uh, where perhaps we differ with the market uh, somewhat as we expect rates to to remain at these level to remain at these high levels for some time uh, we don't think that rates uh, there's any chance of rates being eased you know any time in the next 12 months Sean 25 basis points on 1st of February or are you more aggressive I think 25 is the reasonable expectation followed by another 25 and probably at that point the Fed's going to take a pause. They're going to take a pause because they've had this massive successive increase in rates at, at, at very high magnitudes of either 75 or 50. And now they need to see what the feedback loop is and what is the impact on, on the overall U.S. economy. As also, at the same time, you've also got changes in the U.S. labor market, which itself will have an impact on inflation rates. So there are multitudes of factors going on simultaneously. And a great deal of U.S. imported inflation is coming from China. We've got deflation going on there. So that also could be a factor that will have a meaningful impact on the overall situation in uh, China, so in U.S. So we think uh, rate rises at a modest level and then a pause to watch the feedback. Jamie, uh, Jamie Diamond of J.P. Morgan Chase uh, saying that there could be a 50% chance that the central bank uh, will take it to 6% eventually. Uh, Sean, do you, do you think there's a chance of that? I think Mr. Diamond's a very smart man, so it's uh, unwise to discount his uh, thoughts. I think there are a range of situations, and remember that there are a multitude of factors that are going on. One of the factors that could uh, spook things are geopolitical, and the one we have to keep watching is what's going on in Ukraine. Ukraine indirectly impacts what's going on with food prices, and food is an important part of the core inflation factor. So there are factors that we can consider, we can model, we can uh, have an outlook on, but there are also uh, ones that are more idiosyncratic that could surprise us. Barry, um, we're hearing quite a lot about uh, Ukraine once more in the news today. Uh, we're hearing that uh, the U.S. Patriot uh, missile system, um, of course, coming coming to Ukraine, but uh, training of about 100 Ukrainian soldiers uh, in the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, is Ukraine continuing to be a big, uh, a big issue? Yes. And here I think uh, there's more agreement than disagreement between Republicans and Democrats. There are some Republicans who, who look at the money that's being spent on Ukraine and are, are critical of that. But I think the Russians, without doubt, are looking at the patriots and now the training in the United States on these HIMAR rocket uh, launchers, etc., as an escalation. So this remains dangerous, and I, I agree with everything that Sean and Patrick have been saying over the last few minutes, but particularly on that being a big uncertainty in the future, Ukraine war. Patrick, how's your outlook uh, for the region in uh, the next uh, short while, the first uh, half of uh, 2023? Look, I see the region outperforming. Uh, I see that led by the uh, you know, re-emergence or recovery uh, in China. So, yeah, expecting regional markets uh, to do uh, to do moderately well. 
Um, you know, Sean mentioned earlier, we're looking at travel, we're looking at uh, Thailand, we're looking at Japan, if we include Japan uh, in the region, and we do, uh, you know, Korea by the same extension uh, as well. So I, I think the prospects are, uh, are much more favourable. Uh, rates in the generally didn't have to get to uh, such uh, uh, tight levels as, uh, you know, as, as some, as some uh, somewhere places else uh, globally. So I, I think that the prospects... Uh, after a pretty tough couple of years, uh, you know, look to be uh, look to be on the up. Sean, what are you, what are your thoughts? Uh, um, you know, ahead of the holiday coming up uh, and uh, into the rest of the first half. Uh, all of us at Arizon are really become constructive on Hong Kong China, and I think that it's the opening up and the moving of the China challenges. Uh, we then uh, look at the equity opportunities within Taiwan and Korea two major factors that are happening. Number one is we're getting closer to a bottom of a global semi-cycle, which is very constructive for both Korea and Taiwan markets. And second, specifically... Well, what's a global semi-cycle? Excuse me. Sure. Um, the semiconductor prices have fallen both in terms of processors that run the computers and, and phones that we use, as well as the memory that, that drives those systems on the servers and the machines that we use. They've been falling precipitously for a number of months, and we think as we get towards the third quarter of this year, we should see a stabilization and a, and, and a fixing. So that means that looking forward, we should start to see an ascension of the prices of semiconductors that are used in all sorts of consumer and industrial products. That's very good for the largest companies that are listed in the markets in Korea and Taiwan. And as well, Korea is extremely uh, ahead on electric vehicles. Uh, the production of the battery and the technology behind the battery, we think that provides an opportunity. So Taiwan and Korea provide our second uh, focus point. India right now has become a funding source. People are using uh, profits they made last year in India to invest in China. But still on the medium term, we are very constructive on uh, India, there's some meaningful structural changes going on there. There's a move in capital. They're going to improve the overall infrastructure of, of it of the country, as well as there's this incredible mm. growth of the electronic industry there. Uh, so now the, the the loser here is ASEAN, which was the darling of 2022. Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Malaysia uh, ha had a reasonable run relative to the rest of Asia, and we think that'll be much more modest in 2023. Murray. The uh, crypto crisis, perhaps put it like that, continues with Coinbase uh, laying off lots of people. Uh, is that uh, an indication of where we're going uh, in uh, the next short while? Well, that's another question mark, James, because the whole thing with FTX and Mr. Uh, Mr. Bankman Freed, we don't know where that is going to end up. I mean, it seems there's much more to be disclosed and none of the legal proceedings have gone very far. But you're right. I mean, what is happening with uh, Coinbase in San Francisco is significant. The share price there is down 80 percent in the 12 month period. Uh, sure, it was up very sharply today. But uh, look, Jamie Dimon, in those remarks that were referenced earlier, he's, he again trashed crypto and said, you know, this is just a speculative business and everybody who's lost money is unlikely to get it back. So, yeah, that's 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 not good. And it's um, it's slow coming to a head, but it will. 
Well, let's see what happens indeed. Barry, thank you very much. Barry Wood is RTHK's international economics correspondent in Washington. Also, a big thank you to uh, Sean Dubow, uh, CEO at Horizon Capital Asia, and Patrick Bennett, macro strategist at CIBC World Markets. Thank you, gentlemen, for your participation in Money Talk this morning. Let's have a quick look at the markets before we go. The Nikkei 225 is up 8 tenths of 1% to 26,381. The Kospi are up 7 tenths of 1% at 2,367. The ASX 200, 7,190, almost 1% up. Uh, futures looking to a uh, 0.7% open on the Hang Seng this morning. A cloudy with a few rain patches, maximum temperature around 19 degrees. Moderate fresh east and northeasterly winds, occasionally strong offshore at first. Uh, the outlook still a few rain patches tomorrow, uh, mild and humid in the latter part of this week, with coastal fog in the morning and at night. 17 Celsius, 93% uh, relative humidity. This is James Ross. Uh, tomorrow morning, Andrew Work will be back on uh, Money Talk. Uh, back chat is next. <laughs> Let's take a look at the news headlines now with Barry. Legislator Lam Chun Singh says workers on the minimum wage haven't had a salary increase for four years. Mr Lam, the chair of the Federation of Hong Kong and Kowloon Labour Unions, wants the wage level adjusted to $46 an hour compared to the $40 that Exco approved yesterday. He said the group used welfare payments for two people as a reference point. Mr Lam said although the increase in the minimum wage was higher than the inflation rate, it wouldn't come into effect until May. In fact, it can catch up the inflation rate for the past two years. But please, please do not forget that the government froze the minimum wages level two years ago. The current minimum wages level, 37.5, start at 2019. But we need to wait until May in this year that we can raise the minimum wages level. This means for some of the grasswood workers, they do not have salary increase for nearly four years. Mr Lam added his voice to calls for the minimum wage to be reviewed annually and not every two years. Washington says up to 100 Ukrainian soldiers will arrive in the U.S. as early as next week to be trained in using the Patriot missile system. They'll undergo what's described as an expedited program. The Pentagon Press Secretary is Brigadier General Patrick Ryder. The training will prepare approximately 90 to 100 Ukrainian soldiers to operate, maintain and sustain the defensive system over a training course expected to last several months. So the, the training will be tailored uh, to provide relevant tactics, techniques and procedures based on the battlefield conditions in Ukraine to enable them to employ that uh, to maximum effect once they are back in Ukraine. The former chief financial officer of the Trump organization has been sentenced to five months imprisonment for tax evasion. Alan Weisselberg has pleaded guilty to the charges that relate to a large-scale tax fraud scheme run by the company for 15 years. Here's the BBC's Samira Hassan. The sentence for Alan Weisselberg was largely predetermined after the former chief financial officer for the Trump organization agreed to a deal last August. In return for his admission of guilt on charges of tax fraud, Mr. Wesselberg was required to pay $2 million in back taxes, waive any right to appeal, and testify in a case against the Trump Organization. That case eventually led to the conviction of two subsidiaries of the company owned by former President Donald Trump and his family. 
New figures released by the European Union show that last year's summer across the continent was the hottest on record by a significant margin. The Copernicus Climate Change Service said it was the second hottest year ever. European temperatures had the highest rate of increase of any continent. Freya Vanberg is a senior scientist at the Copernicus Climate Change Service. What's really to note here, I think, is that the last eight years were all the warmest on record. And they were all also more than one degree above what we call the pre-industrial level for temperatures. And we would look at Europe. Europe was the second warmest on record. And it was especially summer that was the warmest on record by quite a large margin. The World Bank has warned that the global economy is perilously close to falling into recession as the impacts of the Ukraine war and Covid pandemic continue to be felt across the world. It identified the impacts of soaring inflation and high interest rates as the key challenges. A senior bank official, Ihan Kose, had some advice. Policymakers need to look at what they are doing at home, try to improve policy frameworks, try to find ways using fiscal policy in an intelligent way, a targeted way, to help the most vulnerable segments of the society. When you think about the global 